Welcome to Queer Material, episode six, season finale, first season. Baron Nicholas Lewis Alexander de Gunsberg. We started this season of lesser-known queer icons with someone known primarily for horror, Ernest Thesiger, who was also an artist in many other ways. And today we close out the season with another lesser-known queer icon, known mainly for art and fashion, but actually iconic in horror without most people even knowing it. Baron Nicholas de Gunsberg, known as Nicky to his friends, was born in 1904, descended from Russian nobility. His family were banking czars, and his father Russian, his mother Polish-Brazilian. Later, he was known as one of the most civilized men in Paris through the 1920s and 30s when he was a socialite known for being young, handsome, wealthy, avant-garde, and quite social. Famously, he hosted some of the most well-known and notorious costume balls of the time with themes including dressing like royalty and the color white with a fur-white carpet on the outside of his island estate in Paris. His parties had architects, artists, designers, and always were his sense of fashion and style. After a brief single screen acting and producing job, more on that later, he came to the U.S. appearing once on the Los Angeles stage, He continued hosting parties and gained notoriety, now in New York, for his aesthetic and his social senses. Counting Cole Porter, one of his closest friends, Porter actually wrote a score just for one of Nikki's parties, and eventually left him most of his art in his will. Perhaps this was partially repayment for Nikki's contributions to You're the Top, the famous Cole Porter song, which Nikki and a few other friends helped him write while boating after an all-night party. Before he began his career formally in fashion, defining style for decades until now, he would continue hosting these parties at his exquisite palace apartment in Manhattan and would sometimes even sell pieces of his high-end furniture or art to fund hosting these events. One Vogue magazine writer later described Baron de Gunsberg as a slender, attractive man with a really dry wit, a gift for mimicry, and a sharply developed taste for the simple but cultivated amenities of living. He started his career as a fashion editor at Harper's Bazaar, eventually becoming editor-in-chief at Town & Country and a senior editor at Vogue through to the end of his career. He decorated Christian Dior's first New York location in the 1940s. Calvin Klein called him his greatest mentor and said that Nikki's eye missed nothing. Klein shared with Interview Magazine that Nikki was truly the greatest inspiration of my life. He was my mentor. I was his protege. If you talk about a person with style and true elegance, maybe I'm being a snob, but I'll tell you there was no one like him. I used to think... Boy, did he put me through hell sometimes, but boy, was I lucky. I was so lucky to have known him so well and for so long. 
While at Harper's Bazaar, Nikki met and discovered Lauren Bacall at a restaurant, making her a fashion model, which led directly to her first film role. Photographer Richard Avedon remembered Nikki as the only male fashion editor in the world at the time that he got that job. Often clad in black, Nikki was known for his sleek style, his keen eye, and his pushing forward many of the defining style characteristics of men's and women's fashion that survive today. Someone at Vogue's art department once said that Nikki looked like a walking page of Vogue. He was the perfect signature of Vogue. Deanna Vreeland, famed Vogue editor, later reluctantly mentioned that he in fact taught her everything, everything. Another account reveals the honesty with which he approached everything, and this didn't always contribute to a positive relationship with a lot of his collaborators. On one occasion, Vreeland asked him, what's the name of that 7th Avenue designer who hates me so? To which Nikki quickly replied, Legion. He was later fired when he was 70, which was an unwritten rule at the time at Vogue but continued to consult with and is partly responsible for Calvin Klein's ascent, as well as Dior, Balenciaga, and other iconic designers having the reach and impact that they did. For a few decades at that point, Nikki had already settled into a two-acre island he purchased in a New Jersey lake, naming it Hemlock Island because it had a single hemlock tree on it, with his partner, the artist Paul Sherman. His housekeeper at the Hemlock Island for years recalled him well. You always learned a lot talking with him, she said. He was a fascinating person. He treated everybody the same, whoever you were. And if he liked you, he always liked you, no matter what. But if he didn't like you, it didn't matter if you were a princess. He didn't like you. Meanwhile, Reynaldo Herrera, designer Carolina Herrera's husband, crowned Nikki the king of the gay fashion mafia. That influence on style even led to Vanity Fair calling him one of the 20th century's most powerful style arbiters in 2014. Some described his iconic style as like an undertaker, while Noel Coward said he dressed like a nun. Returning to those days before his career and his single appearance on screen, before his reputation with the fashion elite, he starred in and produced what would become one of the most influential horror films. As a film enthusiast, Nikki, in 1931, financed and starred in a film directed by Danish filmmaker Carl Theodore Dreyer, most famous for his 1928 Passion of Joan of Arc. Under the screen name of Julian West, Nikki helped create Vampire a 1932 classic that was Dreyer's first film with sound. In it, he appears as the character of David Gray, the protagonist who seems based on Nicky. The original script, in fact, names the character Nicholas. The film is German expressionist at its best. It's a surrealist fever dream of vampirism and horror noir built for and by Nikki. While it did not make Nikki or Julian West a household name, the film has garnered critical acclaim and over the decades since has become known as a classic and iconic horror film, 
alongside Nosferatu, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and even Frankenstein. The film regularly appears on top horror film lists, and famed critic Pauline Kael, writing in The New Yorker, said that while most vampire movies are so silly, this film by Carl Dreyer, a great vampire film, hardly belongs to the genre. Dreyer preys on our subconscious fears. Dread and obsession are the film's substance, and its mood is evocative, dreamy, spectral. Death hovers over everyone. Reflecting later to a local historian from his New Jersey home, Nikki recalled the scene when David Gray is laying in his coffin with his eyes staring as he dreams of his own death. The scene is a gorgeous and horrifying look with Dreyer's beautiful techniques placing you actually inside the coffin with Nikki. Now in this movie, Nikki describes, I was supposed to lay in a coffin like this. He laid his arm straight by his side and stared dead ahead. Well, while we are filming one of those big lights they use in making movies, the bulbs just popped out, fell right into the coffin, and exploded. And do you know, ever since that time, I've been simply terrified of light bulbs? It is clear that Nikki's style and aesthetic viewpoints were both a key part of the building of the character in the film that he financed and produced, and were deeply influenced forever by that film. Nikki's New York apartment was known in addition to the parties and for the art collection for its memento mori collection of skulls, bones, and other detritus and ephemera related to death. After his death, among his papers, was found a 1970s clipping from the London Times in which a movie critic lauded the early neglected masterpieces of silent horror films, Vampire in particular, and in the margin, in Nicky's handwriting, was the comment, Fame at last! Exclamation point. His funeral was small and private. The few people gathered there included fashion legends Bill Bloss, Oscar de la Renta, and Calvin Klein. And his maid recalled the day that he died, the doctor reporting the Baron's last words, I need my black boots. And she added, those black boots were his life. He wanted them always by his bedside. Thank you for listening to Queer Material, part of Electric Pansy Podcast. You can learn more at electricfancy.com or social media as Queer Immaterial. This is the first season finale focused on lesser known queer icons, and I hope to see you for the next season with a new theme. Make sure to share thoughts, comments, and suggestions on Twitter. Review wherever you listen to podcasts, and thank you for listening to Queer Immaterial. Material.